Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? They need another screen back there so I can see what's going on. Didn't know you were done with the video. I got a couple other cool videos I'm going to show you later on in the service. Good to have you here. Thanks you snowbirds for coming out in all the snow. Um, it's good to have you here. I think it communicates a lot to the Lord as well as to me. You wanted to come hear me. It makes me feel better. So thank you for coming. And hopefully it helps the Lord realize we're going to honor him by keep coming here today. That's a lot of what worship's about. I'm starting a new series of sermons. And very appropriate for the situation we're in with a new building and new challenges and a new environment. You probably even have found your new place, your new seat yet, right? Because you know how you have to find it kind of where you're comfortable. I know some people like one side or another side or the middle or the aisle and all those kind of questions. You probably had it all figured out in the old building. But in this new building, it's a challenge. Lots of other challenges like... There's a machine up there that's running right now. It irritates me. It keeps doing this. It'll kick off in a few minutes. And stuff like that and just irritates us. Well, that's really a great opportunity for us to refigure, well, why are we here? What are we trying to do? What, what, what's this place all about? And why do we have to have a church? Why do we have to have a big church? Uh, what difference does it make? What are you supposed to get out of it? How do you evaluate it? All those kinds of questions. In fact, we're starting the series today by getting into those questions. Next weekend, um, Jimmy Entwistle, who used to be, who likes me to call him Jim. Jim Entwistle, my, my son-in-law, I almost said former son-in-law, my son-in-law, um, who went and started a church in Pennsylvania is coming back to speak. Next week we have a staff elder retreat. I'll be gone. It's going to be a great thing we're going to have there, but we're bringing Jim back to speak to you. He's going to, be, going to give you an update on what he's been doing, and he's all excited about preaching here, so be praying for that, and uh, please applaud him or thank him or whatever. He needs the encouragement. He's, he's good. So that's what's happening next week, but what I'd like to do right now is, is talk about how we need to make some adjustments. We need to make, you just heard Jack talk about the adjustments we need to make here. We've got lighting issues, we've got sound issues, we've got all kinds of environmental issues around us, which often can lead to distraction, sure. But we also have adjustments that you need to make and I need to make internally. And one of the things, as I just mentioned, that happens in a change like this, it alerts us to the, the, the value of what we're doing. And, and sometimes it's because we're not thinking of this right or not looking at it right or seeing it from God's point of view. And so the adjustments I'm going to hopefully bring you through in the next several weeks, because I'm preaching on church from now till Easter, really digging deep into what church is, worship, studying the scriptures, what's that supposed to be for? Why do we do that? Fellowship, being together, why do we have to do it together? Why can't you just watch online? That kind of thing. You know, what, what's going on? Those are the kind of things we're going to get into. And the adjustments we need to make internally and the adjustments we need to make here externally to make it a place of worship. So what I'd like to do is pray with you right now before we even get started and ask God to help us. Would you bow your head with me and pray? Lord, we come before you today and we're in great need. We're in great need all the time, it seems, and we're coming to you asking you things all the time that you would provide for us. But you told us to do that. So I come before you right now with this group, this congregation of people, this house of worship, this place, trying to connect with you, as we say in our church. Well, Lord, help us do that today. I pray we'd be able to connect to you and understand you in a whole new perspective and what the church that you invented is supposed to be. 
and how we're supposed to experience church here at Fellowship Alliance. Help us each one, Lord, to know our calling in this and what you're trying to do in connecting to us and how church can help us do that. So I'm asking you to to give us wisdom and insight and understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this prayer. Amen. You should start up, you should understand, and I should start up by telling you, I love church. Now, I didn't always feel that way. In fact, there was a time, especially in my teen years, when uh, mom and dad used to make me come into church because I didn't like going to church at all. It seemed a needless thing in my life and uh, something I didn't want to do. When I became a Christian at 18, things began to change somewhat, but not completely. See, I got saved and I was involved in this movement, which was dynamic and exciting called the Jesus Movement. And we were telling kids about Christ. We opened up this coffee house every Friday night. Hey, we had church. We were singing with our Jesus worship bands and we were, we were giving things to each other and helping out the needy and witnessing to people. It was dynamic. We're seeing kids get saved all the time. We're doing skits on the stage. We got dramas going. We got testimonies. We got kids coming up playing their guitar and singing. It was so exciting. And then you go to church on Sunday and it seems so boring. And we're just sitting here singing hymns and taking offering. And you know, like, it's just... So I was critical of church. I was not that pro-church, but I was really pro on Jesus, which I didn't realize back then is kind of tough because the church is Jesus' bride. That'd be like me telling you, you know, I like you, but your wife's kind of ugly. You know, it's like, (laughs) really? I don't think you're going to like me much when I talk like that. I don't think Jesus is going to like you much when you talk like that. So what's wrong? What's going on? And so through the years, I've grown to absolutely love church and understand more and more, and what I'm hoping to share with you today is some of what I've learned. You see, there's a huge difference between going to church and being church. I don't know if you realize, the New Testament says very little about going to church. It says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together as the habit of some is in the book of Hebrews, and that you should go to church, sure. But it says a lot about being church. All the letters the Apostle Paul wrote to the different churches, we're going to look at some of those today. He's talking about being church. And church becomes unbelievably dynamic for the people that are in it who are being church. I'm not talking about the pastor or the leadership team or the worship team or the ushers or the greeters, the people serving. I'm talking about you being church. There's a huge difference. If you're coming to a church building to see a worship service or you're coming to church to be church, big, big difference. And I want to be able to show you that difference and how that unfolds and what God's intentions are for you in church and how to experience church. This is why I've grown to love church. I think church is like the funnest experience, the most exciting place on the planet Earth, and it should be because it's created by the Almighty God who's incredibly creative and incredibly powerful, so much so He made you. He made every organ in your body. He made every bird that flies in the air, every fish that swims in the sea. And what's so amazing is how creative it all is, how beautiful it all is. Well, then if he made the church, it's going to be dull. It's going to be boring. Something must be wrong if we view it like that. Something must be really askew if we can't see the beauty of church and what it's supposed to be like. I say a lot of it's because we're just coming here. We're not really doing it. So, perfect timing to rethink church. And all I'm asking you to do is 
give me a chance. Will you just give me a chance to explain this to you from the New Testament? Will you give me a chance, not just this week, but in the following weeks, to, to explain to you what worship really is supposed to be? It's not just singing a song with the worship team, what worship's supposed to be. Will you give me a chance to show you what really studying the Word and why we preach the Bible is supposed to be? Will you give me a chance to explain to you what community or fellowship or connecting with one another is supposed to be? Or even outreach and multiplication and reaching people? How? These are what, these things are what I want to talk with you about for the next, all the way till Easter. There's so much more to talk about than what I'm going to do today, but today's kind of an introduction. So I put down as the title of the sermon, How to Evaluate Church. One thing you need to realize that's really different is you can't evaluate church like you would evaluate a restaurant or a movie or your companies because they're all made by humans. The Bible's extremely clear. God made church. Jesus said everything else in the world will pass away, but my church will go on forever. Why? Because it's not natural. Remember the whole series I did on Christmas Eve and Christmas? The whole series in Christmas through December, I kept saying, it wasn't natural. It was supernatural how Mary heard from an angel. It wasn't natural. It was supernatural how Joseph heard from an angel. It wasn't natural. It was supernatural how the angels came and spoke to the shepherds. And I was trying to say, the virgin birth, it's all not natural. The point was God was intervening and coming into humanity. He says the same thing about the church. And you'll see it in the book of Acts when we look at it. It's not natural. So you can't evaluate the church like you would evaluate any other human organization or any other school or restaurant or whatever organization you want to talk about. You can't evaluate it. Well, then how do you evaluate it? And I'm putting that down here. Big idea. Evaluate church like an apostle. Let's do that. Let me show you what I mean. Point one. How the apostles started churches. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts? This is where church started. Let me give you the context. Acts chapter 1. Jesus came to earth, raised up 12 disciples, went around preaching, healing, doing all the things he did, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and then before he ascended to heaven, he said this. this is, these are his last words to the disciples. You ready? Acts 1. And while staying with them, he, that's Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He says, guys, stay right here in Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. He talked about it, if you want to read this, in John 14, 15, 16, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they're still thinking old style, like you're going you're to renew Israel somehow? And he said to them, it's not for you no times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But here's the contrast to that. Here's the answer. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, they're thinking governmental change. They're thinking organizational change. They're evaluating according to human evaluations. And Jesus said, uh-uh, ain't gonna be like that. You wait right here, and the third person of the Trinity, I'm going to come down and touch you and change everything. Turn to Acts 2. In Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1, is when it happened. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Again, not natural, supernatural. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at this time at this, at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, how do they know all these languages? These are Galilean people. And how is it that, that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Eliamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to, to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and, and proselytes, Cretans and, and, and Arabians. We hear them telling us in our own, language, our own tongues uh, mighty works of God. In other words, you, you probably don't get here because you don't know the distinctions they're making here, but there's like people from all these different countries that have come there for the celebration and they're all hearing them speak in their own language. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed. Why? Because it's not natural. It's supernatural saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. They just think they're drunk. It goes on from there to tell the story how the church began and how the apostles were used of God by a supernatural force called the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to empower them to do things, just as Jesus had predicted in Acts 1-8, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. My whole point of bringing this up is to point out to you what I put here, that the church started supernaturally. It wasn't natural. Back in 1994, I was privileged to go to Israel. If you ever get a chance to, to go to Israel or someone here wants to start up a trip to go to Israel, I'm all with you. Let's do it. That would be fun. It's unbelievably exciting to go to Nazareth and to see where, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem and to go to different places like in Capernaum and all these things you read about in the Bible. The, the, uh, by the water, there's this huge place. It's almost like an amphitheater, just, but it's just wildflowers growing, which may be the field where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It's so fun to go to these different places. Or the tomb, where they think a tomb was like this, where Jesus was buried and all this stuff. However... When I went there and I saw all these shrines and all these places, it, it didn't mean as much to me as I thought it would, to be honest. It's almost like when you go to high school after you haven't been there for years and you walk by in the hallway and they have all those uh, trophies from ball games they've won in the case. It doesn't mean much. Yeah, well, that's what they did. That's where it happened. This is where Jesus was born. This is, you know, that kind of, it's like, okay, cool, neat. It did, I, I, I wouldn't get goosebumps, didn't give me thrill at all, really. Because what I had already experienced in America or in any other country in the world is the church, a supernatural force coming over me, working among other brothers and sisters, making us a unity, making us into the church. I'd experienced church. This was just human stuff, human remnants, if you will, Shrines, 
And some of them are so shrined out, it's just ridiculous. So, but I still loved going, and I was still recommended. Don't get me down on this. I still think we should do it. It's fun. It was very inspiring and encouraging. But it reminded me that what I live for, what I'm involved with, is far more dynamic because it's the living power of God in people's lives, changing people, drawing people to Christ, and the dynamic of the church is still moving on. Because from since Acts chapter 2, the church has continued to grow and grow and grow and spread from country to country. I mean, you read the book of Acts or you read the epistles written by the Apostle Paul to different churches and you realize, oh my goodness, it reached this town and this town and this town and this city and this country and it just kept growing and growing and growing. It's so dynamic. You know, like even in our denomination, we're Christian Missionary Alliance and we're all over the world. In fact, there's a lot more of us overseas millions more than there are in the United States. I don't know if you know that. We're very much a missions organization. And it's incredible. Like right now, I talked with a guy not long ago who's from Vietnam. He was in Vietnam during the war. He's just a kid then. But the dynamic way God's worked in his life, he oversees all the churches in the United States to speak Vietnamese in the alliance. And it's dynamic what's happened here. But in Vietnam right now, communist Vietnam has more churches growing and, and expanding beyond your imagination. And what nobody believed would happen when the communists took over and we lost the war. Wow, it's been amazing. Or China. If you've ever studied about the underground church in China, it's millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people coming to Christ. Can't stop it. And even though, if you read church history for the last 2,000 years, I'm a student of church history, love studying church history, you'll see that there was, there's been divisions, there's been deceptions, there's been cults, there's been doctrinal misstatements, there's been doctrinal statements, there's been all kinds of problems after problems, but just like Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. That's right. Because why? It's not natural. It's not based on people. It's based on God. But we being people like to make everything about people. It's not. It's about God. Started by God. And then when everything else passes away, God says his church will not. He'll take us to glory. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Amazing. I got to mention this. I wrote in my notes. In our denomination, it's exciting to be a part of it. We're in the, what's called the Metropolitan District. It includes New York City. You know, this denomination is extremely multi-ethnic. Like right now, this morning, in our denomination alone, there's probably over 30 to 40 different languages being spoken right now, just between here and New York City. Unbelievable. Did you know we have a church in New York City there that's probably three, 500 people now, and it's all Russians who happen to be Jewish who have now become Christians. <laughs> that, that's narrowing things down quite a bit, right? Yeah, isn't that amazing? This is the church. It's supernatural. But we've got a ministry to people like that. And everything, every other group you can possibly think of. I don't know if you know, this denomination was started by A.B. Simpson. He was in New York City, and he wanted to reach Italians. Hey, we've got a lot of those here in South Jersey, right? But he wanted to reach Italian immigrants coming over into New York City, and his denomination, a group of, please don't take this wrong, but it happened to be Presbyterians, they didn't want him to. No, 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 we're not here to reach Italians. They looked down on Italians. 
And he'd be simply said, well, then I quit your denomination. I want to reach Italians. Like, that's how it all started, right? We're here to reach people. It's an amazing thing. Okay. There's a pattern if you look through the Bible. You can see it started by Jesus. You see it fulfilling in the book of Acts, and you see it in the epistles. I remember first seeing this pattern when someone gave me a book when I was in my 20s. It's a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Did you catch that? The Master Plan. And what this professor did, his name was Dr. Robert Coleman. He took a group of students. He said, let's look at the teachings of Jesus. How did he grow things? How did he evangelize or reach more people for Christ? How is the church supposed to do this? What's the dynamic behind the church? And why over the ages, hundreds and hundreds of years, it just keeps growing and growing? Okay, it's supernatural, but how is it supposed to work through people? And his plan is really simple. He does a whole book on it, but it's multiplication. One disciple makes another disciple who makes another disciple who makes another disciple who makes another. It just multiplies. But it all hinges on that one thing that the church is making disciples. And sometimes the tragedy is that we in church think it's about coming and hearing a worship team and hearing a good sermon and going home and having dinner. It's like, oh, I did it. I did church. No, you didn't. You went to church. You didn't do it. Doing church is making disciples. And Robert Coleman brings it out. He goes, yeah, it's about having a Bible study. Yeah, it's about hearing a sermon. Yeah, it's about singing songs. Yeah, it's about giving an offering. Yeah, it's about being a part of a group. But it's about you making disciples. On the basis of that alone, we could stop right here and I could just challenge you. Are you doing it? Are you making it? Is there anybody you pour your life to in your men's group, your women's group, in your mini church, in your neighborhood, with a friend, someone you witness to, someone at work, someone... You're like iron sharpening iron, so one person sharpens another. This is the assignment, Christian. This is what church is supposed to be. And if you've never experienced that, boy, are you missing it. I remember the first time I got to lead someone to Jesus myself. I'm 19 years old, and this guy prays to receive Jesus. It changed my life forever. Just to think, I could help somebody else find God. You can. That's not for preachers only. That's not just for church leaders. That's for everybody who's a Christian. That's why the church spreads. And when the church stops doing that, they stop having an impact, stop making a difference. They stop being church. So Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, and a few years back, I got to meet him. The guy's in his 80s now. He's still on fire, still leading people, still helping people understand this multiplication. And so, I, really, this night, why don't you start praying right now, 2017, dear God, please, Show me who I need to invest my life in. Sure, your kids, that's very, very countable. Absolutely your kids. But is there somebody else? Is there another guy, another gal, another couple? Maybe with their marriage, maybe with a problem, maybe somebody who has a need, I can help them bring it to God. Seriously, that's what it means to be church. That's the first thing we learn here. Second point. So how do we evaluate her? How, how's the apostles start a church? They do it by simply being a minister, letting God multiply through them. Point two, how the apostle Paul evaluated churches. Now I want to show you something. I'm very excited to show you this because I first learned this back when I was just a, a new believer, probably only a few years old in the Lord, going to a Bible college. Someone gave me a book one time. 
remember I was a little bit critical of the church and this book was called The Measure of a Church in other words what makes a good church How do you, what's the yardstick is it their preaching is it the worship style is it the sanctuary and how big it is or the youth ministry no the children's ministry you gotta have, you know, what is it how do you evaluate like an apostle well let's take an apostle the apostle Paul and see how he evaluated churches when he wrote letters to them and Dr. Gene Getz, as you know, I went to his church in Dallas, and he's a good friend of mine. He mentored me a lot. He shares out of the Bible, says, let's look at the Bible. How are you supposed to evaluate a church? Ready? Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes to this church in Colossae, and he says this, chapter 1, starting with verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. I want you to notice three words. Notice he says, since we heard of your faith, he notes they had faith. He notes, and your love, and he notes that they seem to be demonstrating hope and he's hoping, them to, hoping they grow in hope. Isn't it interesting? He brings up faith, hope, and love. What's interesting is turn to the book of Ephesians. If you turn to the letter to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, he writes a similar letter to them to help this church get on track and follow the Lord and be a good church. So what does he bring up? Chapter 1, starting with verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith. Hey, that's just what he told the Colossians. Faith. I, I noticed something. You guys have faith. In the Lord Jesus and your love toward, toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The God of our Christ... The, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. Oh, you may know, in other words, something's messed up about your hope. He seems to be evaluating here, them here about their faith and their love and now their hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Look at 1 Thessalonians another letter. So this is the third church we're looking at. He's, he's just writing letters to three churches, and he starts it all the same, and it's not just formality. It's his yardstick to measure a church. It's a way of evaluating. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. We give thanks to God always for all you, constantly uh, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. You can, you can see in the Apostle, Apostle Paul's brain here, he always talks to a church, and the first thing he thinks of when he's writing them a letter is, well, how are they doing in, in, in faith? Do they really trust God? How are they doing in their, their, their love for each other? Do they, do they really have hope, or are they all anxious and worried about things? How is this coming through? Look at the book of 2 Thessalonians now, because something happened in Thessalonica between his first letter and his second letter, theologians and Bible scholars tell us the church got messed up because some false teachers came in and taught them that Jesus Christ had already come and they missed it. In other words, their hope was very distracted. So look what he writes. Second letter to Thessalonians. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly. Oh, so he's one mark, boop, you got good faith. And the love for every one of you for one another is increasing. Good, you got love. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you, have, that you are enduring. 
doesn't mention hope. Look at chapter 2. Same book, same letter, chapter 2. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that would be your hope, right? And our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord's already come. Paul evaluates this way. Why shouldn't you and I evaluate this way? This is the most biblical evaluation of a church. Do they have faith? Does Fellowship Alliance help you grow in your faith? Does Fellowship Alliance help you grow in your love for one another? Does Fellowship Alliance help you establish your hope, fix your hope on the Lord? The Apostle Paul must have felt quite a bit differently about one particular church, the church at Corinth. Bible scholars tell us that the, book, the church at Corinth was a rather carnal church, fleshly church, not a very good church. So when he writes to them, what does he say about faith, hope, and love? You ready? 1 Corinthians. Let's go there. I'll find it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you because of your faith, because you have hope, because you have love. No, he says, I give thanks to my God because, for you because of the grace of God. <laughs> Didn't that tell you something there? Thank God for his grace. Whenever I think of you, I thank him for his grace. Because <laughs> you guys are a mess. Oh, yeah. That was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all, rich, in all speech, in all knowledge. In other words, you guys have gifts, even as the testimony about Christ was affirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. It's just your spiritual maturity is not so good. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will uh, sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. So what does he talk about? Well, God's grace and that God's faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what's interesting. Thessalonians, two letters, writes about uh, faith, hope, and love. In, in, in Ephesians, faith, hope, and love. In Colossians, faith, hope, and love. In Corinth, he never even mentions it until when? Chapter 13. What does it end with? And these three remain, faith, hope, and love took him 13 chapters to finally get to, well, guys, here's what you really got to work. And he wrote that wonderful chapter on love. Why did he write all that? Because they weren't doing it. This is really insightful, you guys. I hope you see this. This is really crucial. Because we are so unbiblical sometimes in the way we evaluate this church or any church. We think of it like a human institution. We think of it not in respect to any character qualities like faith, hope, and love at all. But we look at, well, How's the building? How's the youth ministry? What's happening with children? Not that those are all bad. It's just, are we really looking at the full picture? Are we really seeing what God's doing here? Are we looking to be a church of faith, hope, and love? Now, if that's the pattern we see, let me ask the question, the crucial question, why? Why is that so important? Number one. What's a church like that doesn't have strong faith? Well, we could look at the Corinthian church and see it real good. Someone gave me a book to read at Christmas time. The title of the book says it all. The title of the book is When People Are Big and God Is Small. That's it, folks. 
That's a church without faith. People become the big deal. The preacher's the big deal. The worship team's the big deal. Other programs of people, people are big. God's hardly mentioned anymore. It's not about God. A church that's full of faith is a church that says, I don't know what we're doing, but we're going to trust God. I don't know how to do it, but we're going to trust God. I don't know what to do with the needs, but let's bring them before the Lord and trust God. It's always pointing to God. Okay, second question then. What's a church like without hope? Well, it's a church that's really worried. A church that's kind of upset, kind of anxious. I had someone come up after the first service to tell me about their... Um, anxiety and their worries because of they said I'm kind of obsessive compulsive I said well that can be a good thing but obsessive compulsive personalities often end up being the most depressed people and she goes oh yeah I know you need to learn to trust God and put your hope in him let me read to you from a book that's all about hope it's called Future Grace I read it years ago it's by uh, the famous pastor out west and, and theologian John Piper And in here, Piper says something that I thought brought it home beautifully. Ready? Listen to this. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ, that's you and me, right? With all his needs, finds God coming to him in Christ with all God's promises, right? So we got the needs. God says, I promise I'll forgive you. I promise I'll do this. I promise I'll redeem you. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ... What he hears is, yes. God, do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve others? Yes. Will you keep me safe? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. Piper adds, One of the most amazing and wonderful statements of this truth goes like this. As many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. That's 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Let's savor this extraordinary truth for a moment. The question God is asking us in this text is this. Are you living in the fullest enjoyment of my yes to all my promises. Or, to put it another way, have you said yes to all the hope of God's yes to you in Christ? That's it. Have you said yes to his hope? Is there any of God's yeses to you that you are saying no to? Or maybe, or not now? This text begs for immediate and radical response. It calls all of us to cry out to God that I consecrate myself to forsake the no and the maybe and the not now of my unbelief, my lack of hope. And I say yes to every hope of every promise that you give to me in the yes you give me. Do you realize that? God's saying yes, 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 yes. But it's us that keep saying, oh, but I'm afraid. Oh, I don't know. Ah, that's hard for me to believe. I can't. Well, no wonder we're anxious and afraid and worried. That controls us because our hope isn't growing. 
And you know, we're supposed to be like iron sharpening iron. So one person, we're supposed to help each other in church get hope. Yeah, that's what a good church does. And a good church has love. What's a church like that doesn't have it? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say? It's like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just annoying. And a church that doesn't have love is annoying. It's a group of people thinking they're one up on everybody. And you know what it is? It's Phariseeism. It's legalists. It's all about laws. It's all about rules. Better do it this way. This what, let me tell you how to do that. Like, it's arrogant. Love is humble. Love is kind. Love is patient. Believes all things. Hopes all. He said it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says it's just not a bunch of noise. They're actually doing things and helping people. That's love. So why is faith, hope, and love so important? Because you can't be church without it. That's what really makes a church, church. Point three. How you can evaluate like an apostle. Um, you know, when I was trying to uh, learn about church, especially in my early days of my Christianity, uh, like I said earlier, I was a bit critical and uh, I had to stop asking the wrong questions, like about how good it was or how cool it was or how much I liked it. And I, start, I, had, to, I had to stop asking those kind of questions and see things differently from God's perspective, like we've been learning today about faith, hope, and love and about being on a mission. And um, Nick was showing me some, some video clips. People put together these little video clips, especially this one organization. It was really good. It's tongue-in-cheek. Um, do you all know what a hyperbole is? Hyperbole is a figure of speech. Like if I say, that pulpit weighs a ton. Like, it doesn't literally weigh a ton. That's a hyperbole. I'm exaggerating to point out it's really heavy, you know, if you try and lift it up, right? Well, a hyperbole in a video here is the same kind of thing. They're kind of tongue-in-cheek making fun of what, what if church is really all about me? Watch this little cute video with me. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're going to make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Ugh. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go to 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Me Church, where it's all about you. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
It's cute. It's tongue-in-cheek, but it's pointing out that sometimes we try and make it a human institution. It's not. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be God's organization of working in people's lives, connecting with people. And I seriously can hardly wait to preach the rest of the sermons to you on the church. Because when you really are being church and you understand what it means to be church, it's extremely exciting. Building your faith, building your hope, putting you in love with God and with other people. So for me, in my journey, I've had to learn to stop asking some questions because it's just, I realize how foolish it is. It's making it all about me. No, it's supposed to be about God. But I've also had to start, start to learn to ask the right questions about faith, hope, and love, about a lot of other things we're going to share about as we go on through the series. And Nick showed me another video I thought was pretty cute where it compares, uh, well, I'll let you watch it. It's fun. Like when it talks about the battleship, I get like choked up. It's 12:22 already. Um, guys, I can hardly wait. I'm not kidding you. I'm very, very stoked up to preach to you. And today I took too long because I'm so excited. But church is the most dynamic, exciting group and power-packed organization on the planet Earth. And I get really excited to talk with you about it because I think a lot of us just come. We're not being. And the New Testament is full about being. It says hardly anything about coming. It's about being church, and we need to learn this. Nothing in our culture teaches us how. In fact, our, whole, our own sinful nature is about me. 
It's like, we got to learn this. So I'm just asking you, give me a chance to show you. Give me a chance to explain it to you. Give me a chance. Would you keep coming to church? Would you get others to come? We got to understand church. And I think it is in this new building, this new environment, it gives us a whole new chance to really grab hold of this. In fact, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping maybe you're a little upset with church because I could. This might get you to actually ask the right questions. Quit asking the wrong ones and to think about what God's doing here. Uh, I love church. I don't love buildings. Sorry, it's nice, but I don't love it. Didn't like the old one, don't like this one. It's just a building, it's just a building. I, I, I don't love the organization of church. I'm not a big organizational guy. I'm not a big manager. I don't, the managing and the smoothness of the operation does not impress me. So what? I, it's man stuff. It's human. I want supernatural. You know, I'm not even very excited, and I, can't, I, I, I don't even love the impact we have. We've had a huge impact, and just think of the impact we could have now. That's wonderful, but that's not what I love. You know what I love? I love church because I love God, and I love church because I love you. I love being with you. I love talking to you. I See, God's in you. God's in me. We're in together. He's seen so much more. And he wants us to have church with him every week and to experience church with him every day. So that's what I can't wait to talk with you about. Sorry I took a little more time today. But would you stand to your feet and let me end it? Let's, let's stand up. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this new building. Thank you that we can be a church together in this building. Thank you that we can be the family of God in small groups, in men's groups, women's groups, discipleship groups, in all kinds of mini churches, and, and in, in youth programs, and children programs, and senior citizens. God, it's just, you're doing so much here. But don't let us, please don't let us forget it's supernatural. It's not natural. You're working here in powerful ways in us beyond what humans can even describe and explain, just like you did in Acts 2. And may we be that kind of Acts 2 church, that it's unexplainable. It's not human. It's God. And thank you for meeting us here today. I, th I feel like we all need to make a commitment to you to say, Lord, I'm in. Teach me. Lord, I need to re rethink my feelings and my attitudes about church and myself, my life. I need to stop asking the wrong questions and start asking the right ones about my life, about my, my priorities, my values. And so, Lord, I just want to say, I want to grow. I'm in. Help me understand church and to live in it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless. Thanks for coming.